have a question for you all this morning. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if God used Sardis Baptist Church to drastically change Swansea with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would happen if so many people were saved because of the bold witness of Sardis Baptist Church that Swansea as a town became a different town? Our study in Acts has given us some insight into those questions. The pattern seems to be when the gospel begins to change people's lives, when God blesses bold, effective witness, persecution is not far behind. We have seen this happen in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Athens, in Crete, in Antioch, in Philippi, and other places. And this morning, we're going to see that pattern continue in the city of Ephesus. When a church is used by God to change a town, they can be guaranteed that persecution in one sense or another is coming. So please turn with me to Acts chapter 19, and you'll find that on page 1181 of the Pew Bible, which is the red Bible in front of you. And we're going to see how this works, how this pattern works. And so far in chapter 19, uh, the first few verses of chapter 19, we saw God blessing Paul's gospel witness by saving 12 disciples of John the Baptist who didn't really have a full knowledge or a full understanding uh, that Jesus was the one that John had been teaching them about. Then in verses 8 through 10, we saw that Paul had three, a three-month ministry in the Jewish synagogue. And during these three months, uh, some listening to Paul's teaching and uh, his presentation of the gospel and who Jesus Christ was, uh, believed the gospel message and became believers. But there were quite a few others who refused to believe and began to uh, malign the way, malign the gospel of Jesus Christ to a point where Paul had to leave and set up his uh, teaching uh, in the school of Tyrannus, uh, just used the building of uh, this uh, man who had a, a school uh, there in Ephesus. This uh, ministry in that school of Tyrannus went on for two years and was so successful, and we have to understand this, it was so successful that all the province of Asia heard the gospel witness from those Paul was teaching. All the province of Asia in verses 11 through 20, we saw pagan exorcists trying to take advantage of the gospel witness, which centers on the work of Jesus Christ. They tried to use Jesus' name to exorcise a demon-possessed man and ended up being soundly beaten by that man because the demon didn't recognize uh, the exorcist's uh, attempt to use the authority of Jesus' name to exorcise the demon. This was not a direct persecution, but it was an attempt by community members to gain prestige and power and money from the name of Jesus Christ. And this still happens today. Throughout the world, when unsaved men and women see the power of the gospel of Jesus to change lives, they try to use uh, or mimic that power for personal gain. And throughout church history, uh, Satan has used these people to be very effective in clouding what the real gospel is. And this now brings us to our text this morning where we will find the whole city of Ephesus reacting to the massive changes that the gospel has brought into the town of uh, the city of Ephesus. And so before I start reading in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, help us to see what you want us to see this morning. Help us to uh, understand your word in a way that it changes who we are. It, it embeds itself in our heart. 
I pray, Lord God, that uh, this morning, that this body of believers, this church, would be different because of what your word says. Father, guide and direct my words. Help me to be clear and accurate, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in all of us. In Christ's name, amen. So let's look at Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 21. Acts 19, verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no disturbance, uh, no little disturbance uh, concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see that and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great god, goddess Artemis, may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, uh, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis the, uh, of the Ephesians! And so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus and uh, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So what we see here, what we see here is that whenever God opens someone's heart to the gospel, life is never the, never the same. They begin to look at the world from a whole new way. And when God opens the hearts of many people in a specific location, let's say a city like Ephesus, then the character of that city is changed. And that change is usually not appreciated by everyone in the city. That is what we have in our passage this morning. God has blessed Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and that blessing has caused a certain group of businessmen to instigate what becomes a city-wide riot. The, and what we see here is the instigators. The instigators, led by a man named Demetrius, okay, were the craftsmen of the city. Uh, Demetrius was a lead craftsman. Uh, they did have craftsmen guilds back in the first century. He was probably a leader of the guild, and he taught, brought the guild together and actually uh, began to uh, give a speech about what was going to happen to them if they didn't do something about Paul. These craftsmen were feeling the economic sting of so many people walking away from those pagan religions when they heard about the one true God. And uh, the Ephesus, we have to understand, was the regional worship center for the goddess Artemis, which is also known, uh, and maybe in some of your translations, as the uh, goddess Diana. The temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven great wonders of the world. And this temple was uh, just out of this world magnificent. Uh, it had 127 columns that were 60 feet high. It covered just the temple an area of about 1.6 acres. That was what was under roof, was 1.6 acres. A football field is only 1.3 acres. So understand that was all under roof, okay? Hundreds of craftsmen depended on this temple to draw people from all of Rome to purchase their gold and silver uh, temple replicas. 
uh, to, and they would take these replicas as they would come into Ephesus, and it was like a tourist trap, and we're all familiar with that. They would go uh, uh, throughout the city. There would be craftsmen along the sides of the streets selling various types of, um, of shrines or uh, uh, little uh, little replicas of the shrine and then they would buy these shrines they would take them to the temple the people who bought them they would have the priests at the temple the uh, the priests of the goddess uh, artemis they would bless them and then they would take them home and put them in significant places in their home often in their places of worship at home that was the normal process and the craftsmen made a huge amount of money off of this God, using Paul's ministry to change hundreds and hundreds of lives, cost these craftsmen a lot of their wealth. We don't know how much money they uh, were losing, but we can have, make an educated guess that it was a great deal of money. Look for with me back up to chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 19. Look up at verse 19. Because of the change, because of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and there's a comment here made about what happened in the city. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them inside of all. And they counted the value of them and found that came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, when we studied this last week, we, uh, we understood that uh, each silver, each piece of silver was worth one day's wage, average wage for a person in Ephesus. All right. Think about that. 50,000 daily weight pieces of silver, 50,000 days of work was represented by what was burned by the people who had come to know Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, that added up to approximately 137 years worth of wages. Start thinking about that. And if you translate into that in today's economy, just the books that were burned... Okay, just the items that uh, people got rid of out of their houses because they understood it was in direct opposition to Jesus Christ. In today's economy, that what was burned would have been worth about $6.5 million. And so when we take that and we understand that, we can see it's not hard to assume, even though it's not stated, that these craftsmen were going to lose a lot of money because if they were burning uh, uh, books of magic and stuff like that because it didn't match with Jesus Christ, what do you think they were doing with everything else in their house that had to do with those pagan religions? They were getting rid of them and they weren't buying them again. And this wasn't just happening in Ephesus. Where was it happening? Throughout all of Asia. And so what we see here and what we can assume is that these men were losing a tremendous amount of money. Their losses would be significant. And so Demetrius, one of the most skilled craftsmen, called the, the city's craftsmen together and told them they were going to be, go out of business if people continued to believe Paul's message. Plus, he added kind of at the end, just to you know, get that emotion in there, he said he added the goddess Artemis' reputation was on the line if so many people would stop worshiping her. You want to know something? I really love Demetrius' testimony here. You didn't realize that Demetrius gave a testimony for Christ, did you? Think about this. Here is a pagan silversmith giving testimony of God's great work in Ephesus through Paul and the Ephesian church. He's right up front about it. Paul and the church is changing what Ephesus is. They're changing Ephesus because of the name of Jesus Christ. What a testimony that is to God, to Paul and the Ephesian church. I pray one day God would use Sardis in such a way that even unsaved people would have to admit that God was using Sardis Baptist Church, church's gospel witness to bring so many people to salvation. 
I would pray that one day our church, people, unsaved people would say, there's something going on at Sardis and it's messing with all of the town because so many people are coming to Jesus Christ. I want you to also notice that Demetrius said it's not just Ephesus, like I already said, that it was throughout all of Asia this was happening. And we see that Demetrius' speech enraged the craftsmen. We see that, look at verse 28 again. And I'm going to read all the way through uh, the results of this into, into, down to verse 41. And when they, the craftsmen, heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the great uh, theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cries out, cried out one thing and some another, uh, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they'd even come together. Some of the crowd prompted, Alexa- uh, prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, uh, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the c- crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus... Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet. Do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious or blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek any further... But if you seek any further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in a danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Here we have what we see as a riot. The craftsmen responded to Demetrius' speech was so loud that it caused a great confusion in Ephesus. People grabbed Paul's companions and forced them into the city's theater. And this theater was kind of like a a town hall, a large one, but a town hall. They would meet for citywide meetings there. They would have sports and entertainment events there. They would have political discussions and meetings there. And they grabbed this. The whole city was going to go to the theater, and they grabbed some of Paul's companions. This mob was so out of control that Paul's disciples and some of his friends wouldn't let him go into the theater because they really feared for his life. Many in the crowd didn't even know why they were, uh, why were they there. They were just caught up in the frenzy. And more so now than ever, we understand this a little bit better, don't we? Recent events over the last couple of years help us relate to what is going on. We have seen multiple riots throughout the U.S. that have gotten out of control because of mob fever. We have seen destruction and violence on the news. We have seen police uh, battered and uh, disrespected. We've watched city leaders try to take control but have failed all because a few people were able to incite hundreds of others to follow them in their anger, just like the craftsmen did in Ephesians. We can better understand that now today. We can picture this in our minds better now today than we were uh, just a few years ago because we've seen it happen. And we understand the fear that is generated. We understand the frenzy that is generated by that. But the riots we are familiar with were not caused by the influence of the gospel on the culture like uh, the Ephesians saw. 
This is, not only, this is not the only riot. We need to understand this is not the only riot recorded in the Bible that, uh, that was caused by the gospel. We've seen all through Acts, we saw a Jewish mob attack and kill Stephen in Acts 7 because of his gospel presentation. In Acts 16, we saw a mob attack Paul and Silas in Philippi because of the gospel, and they tore off their clothes and beat them and put them in prison. And in Acts 21, we're not there yet, we're going to see another mob attack Paul because of his gospel. This is not something that is odd when many people are saved and the community rebels. What can we learn from this? That Satan is going to resist the spread of the gospel in any way that he can. He will fight it at every turn and use whatever means he can to stop its spread. And he will do this on a grand scale as we see here in Ephesus. He will do it on a smaller scale as we did with the mobs that attacked Stephen and Paul. And Satan even used a mob to kill the one who made the gospel possible. He used a Jewish mob who cried, crucify him, crucify him, to persuade Pilate to hang Jesus on the cross. Satan thought he had won. He thought he had stopped God's plan to save mankind. But three days later, Jesus rose from the grave in triumph over sin and death. His death and resurrection made it possible for anyone who placed their faith in his work on the cross to be saved from their sins. And this was the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel that had changed so many lives in Ephesus that it actually began to change the very culture of Ephesus as a city. And this is why Satan tried to derail with the riot that we're looking at right now. As we read, as we moved on, uh, we find that, uh, that as with every riot, eventually ends, True. All the riots that we saw here in the United States over uh, 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 racism, Black Lives Matter, and even some because of COVID, uh, they all ended, right? Some ended peacefully, some didn't. And what we see here is that this riot ended, not because of anything Paul or his companions said, but because a city leader warned them about what Rome may do if the unlawful assembly of the, of the, of the city continued. He came, this, this city leader, the, the leader over all of Ephesus came and said, Rome is going to come in here and it's going to squash this if you, we don't stop. And so the rioters dispersed. And what is very interesting with what Luke records here is that after he writes that all the people uh, went home, he immediately switches, if you look at it, uh, he immediately switches in verse, chapter 20, verse 1, after the uproar ceases, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. The riot is over. The riot is done. We understand what happened. We understand that the city of Ephesus is being changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Luke stops and goes on to another event. Paul is no longer in Ephesus. He makes no theological point. There is no application drawn from the event. He just records what happened to Paul and his companions when the gospel began to change the very culture of the Ephesians. So why did, Paul, uh, why did Luke record this event? What can we learn from this passage that will help us fulfill our life mission to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and the salvation He offers to all who would believe in Him? What can we take home with us this morning from just a historical event? What can we take home? I answer that question at the beginning of our time together this morning. The pattern throughout Acts seems to be when the gospel begins to change people's lives, when God blesses bold, effective witness, persecution rears its ugly head. 
It seems there's always a community reaction against those who would have a bold witness for Jesus Christ when God starts changing people's lives. That's what we can learn from this. That is the main thing I want all of us to have in our hearts as we walk back out into our community this morning. If we as members of Sardis Baptist Church desire God to use our witness to change the lives as He did in Ephesus, then it should not surprise us that our community will not always be pleased with us. We must understand that if we are bold and effective witnesses for Jesus Christ, our community is not necessarily going to like us. And this doesn't seem, it doesn't seem as if the church grasps this idea. For decades, the church has worked hard to ensure that they are all wealth, that we are liked by the community. The church becomes involved in many community activities and, act, and actively reach out to help the community. And I want to make sure that I'm really clear before I proceed any further. I think there is nothing wrong with that. We need to be involved in the community. We need to reach out and help our community. We as a church must be involved uh, in the community so the love of Jesus can be seen through us. And we must care for our community and help those who have needs in our community. But there's a big but here. There's something that we need to understand. We must never let the social care overshadow the reason we exist to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must never allow what we do in reaching our community hide the reason we breathe, which is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. When the church becomes a comforter, uh, when it, there, is, there needs to be this sense in which the church is the conscience of the community, not the comforter of the community. When the church becomes the comfort of the community, their bold gospel witness often becomes hidden in the background so those in the community will not be offended by what the gospel message really says. You know what that gospel message says that the community doesn't want to hear? The gospel says you and I are sinners and our sin makes us an enemy of God. The gospel says, message says there is nothing inherently good in you because of your sin and there is nothing good you can do to earn God's favor and change your standing before Him. The gospel says, in this condition, you are uh, destined to spend an eternity in hell separated from God. The gospel says, there is no hope for you except, that the one, uh, except the one path God has provided to repair your relationship with Him and become His children. And the gospel points out that that is believing in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that He rose again in victory as proof that His Father accepted His payment for your sin. That's the gospel. That's what the community doesn't want to hear. Our communities will enjoy having us care about them and having us minister to them until we boldly preach the message. That message will not appeal to them and there will eventually come a time when they want our ministry but not our message. But we must never let them influence us to separate our mission's message from our ministry. Our message of the gospel as a church and as individuals must always be front and center. It must be part of everything we do in our community. And this is very hard to do because we want, uh, we want to think that if they like us, they will eventually like our message, but that is not going to be true. They will accept our ministry. They will never stop accepting our ministry to them, but they will often not accept the message and they don't want to hear it. And so because of that, we are tempted to work hard to help uh, them like us through our ministry and end up letting our message just sit in the background unspoken. It's there. If somebody comes up to us and says, hey, why do you guys do it? We can, we can minister to them. 
But I have seen over years and years of being around the cities and different cities and military travel and going overseas and stuff like that, that the church of some kind gets so involved socially that the gospel becomes relegated to the back seat and is very rarely ever mentioned in church ministry outside the church. Sadly, we have a really uh, an example of this that Kathy and I are very uh, familiar with. Sadly, the Salvation Army is one example of what happens to a church when social care overshadows the gospel witness. The Salvation Army was established by William Booth in the late 1800s, and there was an extremely strong gospel witness when, that, when the Salvation Army was established, and there still is a gospel presence. My wife, Kathy, is proof of that. She grew up in a Salvation Army church and gave her life to church, Christ in that church, and now I have a godly woman that I'm married to because of that church. So there is a gospel presence, but not like it was back in 1800s. However, over the years, the Salvation Army has become more and more noted for its social care and services than, the gospel, than its gospel witness. I've heard many people say more than once when talking to them about Kathy being raised in a Salvation Army church, here's the quote they make, I didn't know the Salvation Army had a church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You can go throughout the world. You can go in front of Walmart. You can go in front of uh, TJ Maxx. You can find the social work all across the United States and throughout the world of the Salvation Army. But you know what's relegated to the back seat? The gospel witness. Are they doing good work? Yes. Is it profitable work? Yes. Are they ministering to the communities in the world around them? Yes. But the gospel witness is veiled. What our community needs to have from us more than anything is a bold gospel witness. Yes, we need to be involved in our community. Yes, we need to be involved in the social needs of our community. But if we really want to see God use us to change our community for the better, our gospel witness needs to be at the forefront of every community activity we are engaged in. If we want to see God use Sardis Baptist Church to change lives in our community, then all of our ministries that we, come, that we minister to in the community needs to be attached to the gospel, to the word of God somehow. And that is the question that we need to ask now. How do we keep the gospel front and center? How do we keep the gospel front and center as we minister to our community? The answer is simple. We diligently strive to keep God's word front and center in every ministry we are involved in. We strive to keep the, uh, the word of God front and center in every ministry that we are involved in. We make sure our community encounters God's Word every time they interact with us as individuals, in our homes, in our workplaces of work, in our classes at school, on our ball fields, and even in the hunting stand. And every ministry that we do here from the fall festival to the Easter egg hunt that's coming up, every ministry that we do from uh, feeding, uh, working with Good Shepherd, uh, ASP, all of those things, the Word of God needs to be front and center. It needs to be there all the time, day in, day out, never relegated to the back seat while we minister to our, to our community. Every time we see a community really change for God in Acts, it's because God's Word grew and prevailed in that community. Take a look at 
Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and mightily prevail. That's in the passage we're looking at right now. Acts 19, verse, Acts 19, verse 20. It says, the result of what was going on in Ephesus, the word of the Lord continued to increase. More and more people were reached throughout Asia and throughout Ephesus because of the word of God, not because they were focused on social or ministry needs. It was Paul's daily teaching of the Word of God that grew the church. It was his daily reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God and his stating over and over that God's made with hands are not God's. It was that teaching, it was him talking about Jesus Christ, about the kingdom of God that God used to open so many hearts in Ephesus to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have seen throughout Acts that it's through God's Word that people are saved and the church grows. Look at all these passages, Acts 6, 7. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why? Because the Word of God continued to increase. Acts 8, 4. We've already studied all these. Now those who were scattered because of persecution in Jerusalem, those who were scattered went about preaching what? The Word of God. Acts 12, 24, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. Over and over we see the same idea. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Again, what is the focus every time in every city? What changed the cities? What's, how did people get saved? They were confronted with the Word of God. Acts 13, starting in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spread throughout the whole region. Acts 18, 11, And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God before them. And then again here in our chapter today, Acts 19, 10, And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, over and over and over and over. What do we see that spread the gospel, that grew churches, that planted churches? It wasn't what? A focus on social ministry or ministry to the community from the church. It was what? The word of God. It is through God's word that we keep our mission to be, front, uh, to be witnesses, front and center of our ministries. And don't forget, it's through the preaching and teaching of God's Word that Satan will always stir up opposition. When we come in and enter our communities and we enter our workplaces and we enter our schools when, with a bold witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when, with the Word of God, this is what's going to happen. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea, it's not even in their town. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And we see that again in Ephesus. We see crowds and mobs being stirred up because the Word of God is being preached, because the Word of God is changing lives, and because the culture of that city or that town is being changed by the Word of God. Whenever the Word of God is front and center in a church's ministry to the community, the community will eventually push back against that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't strive to continue to minister, and we need to. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we don't go out and minister. I'm not saying that we don't go out and socially involve ourselves uh, in helping our communities. We need to do that as an organized church and as individuals. Amen? 
But if we do that, without making sure they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we do that, without them hearing the word of God, then all we're doing is helping relieve some pain and discomfort in this world, and they're still going to die and spend eternity in hell. They need to hear the gospel in every ministry that we do. Remember what I asked at the beginning of our time together? Have you ever wondered what it would be like if God used Sardis Baptist Church to drastically change Swansea with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would happen if so many people were saved because of the bold witness of Sardis Baptist Church that Swansea as a town became a different town? We know the answers to these questions. There will be many in our community who will push back against the gospel and the souls that will be saved. But wouldn't it be great if God used Sardis like that? Wouldn't it be worth the pushback? Wouldn't it be worth the persecution if God used this church to change our community for Jesus Christ? To see our friends and our families and our relatives and our neighbors and our co-workers and our town changed because of a gospel witness. I don't know if that is part of God's plan for us. I don't know what God plans to do with our gospel witness outside these doors. But if it is, I want us to be, to be prepared in our hearts and minds to love our community even when they're not going to love us back. I pray that one day God would use Sardis in such a way that even unsaved people would have to admit that God was using Sardis Baptist Church's gospel witness to bring so many to salvation. We need to pray that God would use our gospel witness to uh, bring people to Jesus Christ. We need to pray that, that God would grow this church, not from people moving from other churches or even moving into the area, but because men and women and children are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know something. This, we are doing a good job at this. We have a new children's ministry, 252. Do you know what is center to that? God's Word. They hear the gospel. They memorize verses. They sing songs that are focused on the gospel. Our ASP. We have, we have 50 kids down in ASP constantly. We help them with their homework. We minister to their needs. When their parents can't pay, we often help them, scholarship them. During the, the COVID, uh, we fed a lot of those families. But you want to know something? You can walk down there every day. Every day a child walks into ASP, they're going to hear something of the gospel of Jesus Christ or something of God's word every single day. And Tammy and I and, 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 and some of the other leaders of the church have discussed this. We have grants that help us minister to that because we, 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 we do a lot of, uh, there's, it takes a lot of money for us to do that. And the question is, what happens if the grants, which are uh, federal grants, say that we can't give the gospel or we can't talk about religion anymore or we can't do any of that anymore? Do you know what the answer is automatically? The grant goes away, God will provide, and we're not going to step away from the gospel of Jesus Christ to these kids that walk into this room every day. 
That is what we are supposed to do. When you come into Sunday school class, we want you to hear the gospel and know the word of God. When you're here in the morning, and uh, we want you to hear the gospel. When you come to go to Bible studies and when you go to home groups, we want you to hear the gospel. We want you to grow because it is the gospel that changes life. It is not ministering to social needs. And so that is my challenge to you, both as a congregation, as a body of Christ, and as individuals. Make the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's word, the center of of everything you do with the community. Make sure they hear the gospel. Make sure they understand God's word. Make sure they hear what God has done in your life because that's what's going to save them for all of eternity. Amen? Let's bow our heads, please. For those of you here this morning who are saved, who understand what it means to be a Christ follower, I'd like you to just take a minute and just go before the Lord and bring this church and the members of this church before the Lord and ask that we would never be deterred from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would never allow the gospel to be relegated to the back seat. Go before the Lord with that for just a minute. There may be some here this morning who said, I, I really didn't know what the gospel was. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure it's part of my life. If you're one of those right now, I would love to meet with you, to speak with you, to help you understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. I would love to spend some time with you helping you understand why Jesus is worthy to be Lord and Savior of your life. If you are in that position this morning, don't put it off. Come and see me. You may not agree, but at least you'll know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, we come to you this morning and we ask and pray that we will be a church ready to be used by you like you did the church in Ephesus. A church that was used to change the culture of a very, very pagan city, a church that was used to impact thousands and thousands of people outside of the city of Ephesus because they preached and taught and talked about the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Lord God, I ask that you would use this church. I ask, Lord God, that you would give us the privilege of seeing men and women and children coming to a true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that we, you would allow us to have the privilege of discipling them and growing them in Christ. 
And I pray, Lord God, that those believers, those new believers would go out into the world with another voice praising God for Jesus Christ and His salvation. Father God, as we close here this morning, I ask and pray that you would use this church in Christ's name. Amen.